into your presence. And Father, that you rain down upon us. You forever reign. But Lord God, you rain down upon us even now on this earth. So Father, we pray that you would continue to fill us to overflowing, Lord God. That you would continue to work in our lives, bringing help and healing, restoring us back to the place that you desire us to be, to walk and live in the abundant life that Christ came to give. Father, I pray this morning that you would open our spiritual eyes to see you with greater clarity, that you would open our ears to hear your small, still voice speaking to our hearts, God, that most importantly, that you would open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us this morning, God that we would have an encounter with you, Lord, because it's not just another sermon. It's not just wonderful praise and worship necessarily that completely transforms our life, but it's an encounter with you, Lord. And all these things that we're doing add to that and prepare our hearts to receive your word and to receive you. So, Father, we pray with expectation that you will come and reign in us, reign down upon us this morning. In Jesus' name. God, you're so worthy. Father, we worship you and praise you and thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want to just reiterate a couple of things before I release the student ministry and and the uh, youth. Um, Guys, I I so appreciate you coming on Sunday mornings. And we have some really exciting things happening the next few weeks. Next Sunday is Father's Day. And so we want you to come, and, and uh, maybe you know people that are looking for a church home and invite them. We have some really cool gifts that we're going to give out to all the dads. Uh, so you'll get those next Sunday. And then the following Sunday on the 22nd, we have a really exciting guest coming. Our pastor from Corpus Christi is going to be here. And, uh, yeah, man, he is probably the most powerful man of God that I know personally. I mean, the love of God flows through him. People are just drawn to him because of the love of God that exudes from his being. He's a pastor of pastors. Really, I I consider Pastor Don an apostle because he actually mentors and pastors thousands of other pastors all over the world. There are a lot of people that he pours into, and some of those pastors that he pours into have hundreds of pastors under them. He has influence all over the world, and this will be the first time in five years, actually, that he's been here on a Sunday morning, so you don't want to miss that. He's really an awesome man of God. He often moves in the prophetic, and so I'll be talking to him, and and, uh, we'll be praying about the service on Sunday, but that's the 22nd. You don't want to miss that. Then on the 29th, we already talked about the baptism service and the fellowship time. Guys, listen, it's really important that we spend time together fellowshipping. And the fifth Sundays is a great time to do that where we have food, we have jumpers for the kids, we have all that kind of stuff going on. And it's just a great time to, to build relationships because it's really important because the relationships that we're building right now are for all eternity. So let's get to know one another now and let's uh, let's spend time together. Then on July the 6th, we have another special guest coming. Do you guys remember Tom Braxton, the sax player? He's an international musician. He's over in somewhere. He's overseas somewhere. I forget where he is now. Japan, I think, and Korea. But anyway, he's going to be here on July the 6th. And if, if you like smooth jazz, he's just phenomenal. 
if you don't like smooth jazz, come anyway, because he's a charismatic speaker. He's really fun, and, and he, I always love it when Tom comes, because he's just so laid back. And we've been talking about 442, this series, about being effective witnesses and going out and reaching people. And listen, Tom is one of the best at that, because he plays all kinds of venues. Mostly he does concerts now, but back uh, a number of years ago when he was starting, he would do a lot of restaurant bars, and he has such a way of engaging people that uh, building relationships with them, and, and the Lord just opens up doors for him to be able to share his faith. So if nothing else, you'll glean from that, but he's a wonderful musician, a great guy. We're going to have a lot of fun. Keep those in mind, and we'll be sending out an email with all those updates. We have a lot of exciting things going on in the next few weeks, and I don't want you to miss any of that. And speaking of exciting things, we have something very exciting starting this morning. Jason Lucas is going to bring the word. So would you welcome Jason? Come on up, brother. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Good morning, everybody. All right. Let me get this. Uh, we need to release the student ministry in you. Sorry about that. Warrior youth, you are released. Well, good morning, everybody. You know, Pastor Mark has blessed me with the opportunity to bring the message today, and the message is, can I get a witness? Now, Pastor Mark spoke just last week about our new series at Life Fellowship, the 442 is for you initiative. Now, as a refresher, the numbers stand for four new relationships, four times to share my or a story with somebody, and two people that I can pray with or for, all right? Now, this is all about relationships and living it on a daily basis. Now, I'm going to speak about one of the most important parts of our Christian faith this morning and why we need to integrate it into our relationship building. In fact, it is the first part of the key scriptures of the entire last series. Now, I'm going to be talking about what it means to witness to another person about Jesus. Now, we do have a couple of key scriptures that you can go ahead and get marked into your Bibles. First one is going to be Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And then the second one, group of them, is going to be Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Now, I'm going to start this morning a little bit differently. We're going to start it off by having a little bit of an experiment. To do this, I'm going to need about three or four different volunteers of different ages. So, do I have anyone who's willing to come forward? Or I'll start picking them. Sheree? Karen? Wayne? All right, that's three. Perfect. <laughs> now, y'all go ahead and just stand right here. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do anything difficult. I'm not going to ask you to do any dances. Nothing hard. All I'm going to do, well, okay, or y'all can dance. Either way. All I want to do is test your memory and see how well you remember things. So... So, underneath this cloth right here, I have a random selection of items. I am going to give you exactly 30 seconds to look at these items, and then I'm going to ask you some questions about them. For those of you watching at home and those of you in the audience, the items will also be on the screen, make it a little easier for you, so y'all can play along as well. All right, now I have an official timekeeper. Y'all know him as Piano Man, Dave Haig. He's right here. He has got the stopwatch. So, when this 30 seconds is up, I'm covering this up and it's disappearing off the screen. Forever. Are y'all ready? Forever. forever it's gone forever. Oh, All right. Are y'all ready? Ready. All right. Three, two, one. Okay. Somebody hand them a handheld, if you don't mind. I'm going to ask just a few couple little questions. How many items were there? Wayne says seven. Eight. Eight. 
five. So I got seven, five, and eight. There were seven. Wayne got that one correct. All right. Now, can you, now, hold on. Can you, can you name all the items? Okay, good. That's, that's fine. Okay, what color was the lock? What color is the key on the lock? Okay. Was it locked or unlocked? Locked. All right, what about the watch? What color was the band? Brown. Okay, what time was on the watch? How many holes were on the band? Uh, I don't know. What team was the helmet for? Seahawks. All right, great. It was the Seahawks. What color was the stripe on top of the helmet? Red. Silver. <laughs> All right. The, the, uh, the toy that was on there, what was it? Okay. What color was the face? It was gray. It's okay. Uh, what was on the foot of the sheep? Close. It was actually little people. It's all right. The Tabasco bottle. How many ounces was that? Actually, one-eighth. One-eighth of an ounce. What's the color on the top of the bottle? Red. Okay. What's the number above the label? 57. Okay. The flash drive. What color was the flash drive? All right. What size? How much does it hold? It, it wasn't listed. Good. Good call. We'll get into why we did that in just a little bit. The subject I'm going to look at this morning is about being witnesses. Now, have you ever wondered why, like I have, when God saved you, he left you on the earth? I mean, if God wanted to, he could have taken you directly to heaven the moment you trusted Christ as your savior. But he didn't, which means that he left you on earth for a particular purpose. That's a good one. <laughs> We still have a job to do, and that job is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Why are witnesses so important? Just before he returned to heaven, Jesus explained to his disciples what they were to do after his departure. What he said to them, he also says to us. He left us on the earth that we might be his witnesses. In heaven, there's not going to be a need for witnesses because his presence is undeniable in heaven. But here on this earthly realm, he uses people like us to, to convince others to believe in him. We are God's witnesses, his evidence, if you will, to convince an unbelieving world. So again, why are witnesses so important? They help us to get to the truth and uncover the facts of what really happened. A witness is someone who sees something important happen and is asked to tell what he or she can remember. For example, you have witnesses in a court of law or when someone is making a claim on their insurance. Has anyone been involved in or observed an accident? Did you have to remember details for the report? As many of you know, I'm a safety manager at my job. Witness statements are a vital part to any investigation. I want y'all to take a look at the picture on the screen. I can tell you, that's not the way the crane's supposed to look. That is definitely not the way the crane is supposed to look. Now, this is an incident that we had not that long ago. How many witness statements do you think I got? I got five, five witness statements, one from the operator, two from the riggers, and two from the truck drivers. Now, these witness statements range from everything from where the counterweight was placed to I just pulled up on the job site and didn't see anything, which seems to be a pretty running trend. All right. <laughs> As a safety manager, it is vital that we get these witness statements because if I'm not there to witness the incident, I can't get to the root cause of an incident. I can't come up with new plans on how to prevent it from reoccurring unless I know exactly what happened. 
So these witness statements are vital in any investigation that we do. And we received them on this. And we were able to get to a root cause through the witness statements, the root cause analysis, a lot of other things that we did. But we were able to get through it. But I can tell you the witness statements were a vital part of that. While witness statements in an investigation are important, they pale in comparison to witnessing about Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus appears to his disciples for the last time, and he says these words in verses 8 through 11 of Acts 1. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Verse 10. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. In verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And that brings me to my first point. We have a message. What were the first disciples witnessing about? The simple fact that Jesus Christ was alive. They had met him. They had eaten with him. Some of them had even touched him. And even today, the witnesses of those disciples is one of the strongest pieces of evidence that Jesus really did die on the cross and rose again three days later. Nothing else remotely comes close to explaining how this group of sad and frightened people suddenly turned into a bold and courageous movement that changed the world. Not just then, but continues to change the world today. But there's something very important to notice about the witness of the disciples. Usually witnesses talk about something that happened in the past. Whether it was the last war, whether it was an accident they saw occur, it was different for them. The witnesses of the disciples was different because they were witnesses to the fact that Jesus was alive and is with them now. Not in person as a visible presence they could point to, but living in their hearts changing and transforming their lives. Because as Jesus promised in this verse, he would send his Holy Spirit upon them so that they could go out from Jerusalem, sure in the knowledge that he would always be with them. Now that's great, you may say. How, does that, how is that relevant to us today? Well, to begin with, the fact remains that Jesus is alive. This is as true now as it was 2,000 years ago. And there are many people sitting in this church who will bear witness that they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only a historical figure who walked the streets of ancient Judea and taught about the kingdom of God. He is also the risen Lord who intercedes on our behalf at the right hand of God. Of course, we don't meet Jesus in the same way that those first disciples did. But there are plenty of other ways that we can encounter him. Probably the best way we can do this is by reading the stories about the life of Jesus that are found in the Bible called the Gospels. Maybe you've heard that there's some differences in the Gospels in relation to Jesus' life. Well, there's some very minor differences, but we should expect this because the Gospels are, in fact, witness accounts of what took place. And just as our brave volunteers show us, they didn't agree with all the details of what was on the tray. We find that sometimes Matthew, for example, remembers one detail and Luke another. And as Pastor Christina so ably described in Wednesday Night Bible Study, which, again, you should be attending if you're not currently doing so, you also have to take into consideration the audience the writer was intending to reach, as well as the time frame in which it was written. The Gospels are living eyewitness accounts of this man called Jesus. And time after time, when people read about him, and they read these eyewitness accounts, they discover that Jesus is still alive, and it's possible to come to know him when you put your faith and trust in him. So, do you know Jesus? 
If the answer is no, then please do something about that today. Speak to Pastor Mark or me about how you can resolve that this morning. And if you aren't comfortable doing that, take some time to read about Jesus and the Gospels and then come back and tell us about the person you met. If the answer is yes, then thank you for joining us this morning for another recharging session that helps us live it for the rest of the week. But it seems to me that Jesus' words don't allow us simply to come together and enjoy a, a recharging session once a week. Recharging sessions are nice and good and necessary. But Jesus' command to the first disciples is also a command to us to go, to witness, to reach the ends of the earth. So what does it mean for us to witness? Now, I know a lot of you right now when you heard, can I get a witness, and you heard I was going to be talking about witnessing, the first thought that crossed your mind was a Jehovah's Witness trying to pass off the watchtower after knocking on your door. Okay, if that's your first thought, I want you to erase it from your mind right now. All right, witnessing isn't about trying to force people to accept your point of view. Witnessing is about honestly and naturally sharing the truth that Jesus is alive. And for most, if not all of us, that is more about the way we live our life than the words we say. As St. Francis of Assisi is known to have said, share the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I was reading this week some words that Paul wrote about the way slaves should behave towards their masters. And that's in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. If you'll turn there for me. Verse 9. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back, 10, or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. That's witnessing. You know, I know we don't have slaves and masters anymore, but let's apply those words to our teachers, to our employers, to our family. How does the way we treat other people make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive? There's nothing worse than someone who goes around saying that Jesus saves and changes lives, but he can't see how badly, they can't see how badly they're treating other people. Integrity is important to have. It affirms us as being a good witness. And who should we witness to? Everyone. That's right. Those little words, to the ends of the earth, means to every person in every place. That doesn't just include grown-ups. Now, not very long ago, we dedicated some children to the Lord. Now, what will they learn about Jesus as they grow up? Some will hear that he doesn't even exist. While others, they will hear plenty of people who will just use Jesus as another swear word. They will see TV shows that make fun of Jesus and others that say that he was a good but misguided prophet. And if you spend any time talking to others, non-believers especially, they will be told that Jesus is just one religious figure among many. It's going to be tough for them to find out who Jesus is. And that is where we step in as parents, witnessing to our children about who Jesus really is. We won't just be expressing what we believe. We are also committing ourselves to bringing them up in such a way that they come to know and love Jesus for themselves. In a world that is frequently hostile or indifferent to who Jesus is or what he has done. That's why we as a church, we have such an important role to support them and encourage them, all the parents in our church. Now I should add that Jesus' words do not only apply to people who happen to be comfortable and well off. Jesus, after all, he went around ministering to the poor to the outcast, to those on the edges of society. 
Yet so often they are the ones who are missing from our churches. Somehow we, we as a church have failed to witness to the wonderful truth found in John 3.16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Not just grown-ups, not for those who are, whose lives are quote-unquote perfect, but you and you and you and me, no matter whom we are, no matter what we have been through. Go back to Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we have a message and the message is Jesus is alive. Amen. Think about what this means for your life. Have you had a real life personal encounter with Jesus? Do you know what it means to experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Which brings me to my second point. My first point, we have a message. My second point, we have a mission. We do have a mission to the ends of the earth. And I believe that includes Kima and League City and any other place that's represented here this morning. What can we do as a church to share this wonderful and good news with the many people around us who know nothing of Jesus and have never experienced his love? The people who, who perhaps think that Christian faith is not for ordinary people like them. Now, I think the 442 initiative is going to help us all make great strides in sharing Jesus with the unchurched. Now, I'm going to get into it a little bit more about how I'll go about that in just a minute. I do want to mention my third point. First being we have a message. Second, we have a mission. Third, we have motivation. Acts 1.11 again says, Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into the heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The Bible is very clear, crystal clear, that we don't know when that's going to be. But one thing we do know is that whatever time it is, he will return as Lord and King and Judge. And at that point, every eye will see him and every knee will bow. So the real challenge is, will you be ready? How faithfully are you bearing witness to the wonderful fact that Jesus is alive? Now, I guess there are many different answers to this questions, but one option is completely ruled out, and that option is to do nothing. As our upcoming baptism service will remind us, Jesus desires a response of faith, of love, and of commitment. When I finished my first draft, we were done. I was going to come up with some cool closing here. Everybody was going to love me because y'all were going to get to lunch before everybody else, before all the other churches let out. <laughs> As I was praying over it, I really felt the Lord was convicting me. He said, you aren't going to at least give them an example of how to accomplish this? Yeah, I was a little convicted. So I, I went to revise the sermon just a little bit. So on that note, there are two main steps in witnessing. First step is, to be able to give your own personal testimony. Your personal testimony is your story. Now, I was just talking to Pastor Mark yesterday. When I first started witnessing, and I was talking to other people who witnessed to others, and I was hearing their testimonies, honestly, I got a little jealous. They had such cool testimonies, man. They were brought out of drug problems, and they got out of a gang, and they had all these really cool history that God just brought them out of, and I was I know I shouldn't have been jealous, but I was like, man, God, that, that would have been a really cool story to be able to share with somebody. But then I started thinking, man, they really went through a whole lot. I don't really want to go through all that. 
If your only drug problem was you were raised in church and your parents drug you there every time the doors were open, you have a testimony to give. You have a testimony to give, and it is your story. It's about who you were before Christ and how your relationship with him has changed that. Like Pastor Mark spoke about last week, people can argue about scripture, history, and many other subjects, but the one thing they can't argue with you about is your story. Number two, present the plan of salvation using what is commonly referred to as the Roman road. Now, I'm going to go through the Roman road, so everybody has an opportunity to hear this. If you've got a pen and paper, write these scriptures down. If not, come see me afterwards, and I'll be more than happy to share them with you. Huh? Or go online, because these will be online. Thank you. Perfect. Lifefellowship.me. www.lifefellowship.me. Sermons tab. You can find this. Awesome. As you're talking to somebody, and after you've shared your personal testimony with them, if you have permission to share just a little bit of scripture with them, turn to the first verse, which would be verse, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. And this is an example of the way to begin to lead someone to the Lord. You can read the scripture to them. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Now you're going to read this, this verse to the person and explain to them that in God's sight, no one is righteous. None of us. We've all done wrong things in God's sight. Even though to ourselves, <laughs> we don't seem to be all that bad. And we can compare ourselves to others, <laughs> downright good. But God's standard is perfection because God is a holy God. And that's what we need to realize that we are not righteous because in comparison to that, none of us are. Then we'll turn to Romans 3.23 and share this with them. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now this verse tells us why we are not right with God. We have all sinned. The word sin means to miss the mark. Now, Pastor Mark has shared this on numerous occasions about an archer, okay, who's, who's aiming his arrow at the, at the bullseye, but when he lets go, he, he doesn't even hit the target. He's missed the mark completely. Now, the idea is that God's standards we have to meet is perfection, and we'll never hit that mark. For those of you that do any type of uh, tool work, a foot is how many inches? So is 11 inches a foot? No, it's not. It's not a foot by definition. In the same way, God's measure by which, which he must judge us is his own perfection. This is because he is completely holy and cannot allow sin in his presence. And then we would turn to Romans 6.23. And we read that verse to the person. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we know that no one is righteous. We know that all have sinned. And now we know that the wages of that sin is death. This verse tells us why we are not right with God. That this verse tells us that the wages or results of our sin is death. Physical death is when the soul and spirit of a person is separated from their body. But spiritual death is when the soul and spirit is separated from God. This verse goes on to say that the gift of God is eternal life in and through Jesus Christ. And then we return to Romans 5 verse 8. For the good news. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This verse tells us that God loves us and has provided a way by which we can escape the penalty of death and the penalty of sin. Jesus Christ, God's son, died and paid that penalty for our sins. The Bible teaches that Jesus, the son of God, is fully God just as much as God the father. When he died on the cross, he paid the entire wages or penalty for our sins, which we normally would have to pay. 
That's why he said it is finished. It is done. He's done. He's completed it. He's finished all of it. He was the substitute for us and paying for our sins. Now here, you could give an illustration to the person you're speaking to. An illustration like this one. Suppose you broke a law and you went to court. Now the judge finds you guilty and you must pay a fine. But the judge is a personal friend of yours. As a judge, he must pass sentence on you. But then he takes off his robe and he steps down from the bench. And he says to you, I will now act as your friend instead of your judge. I will pay your fine if you will let me. That way justice is served for your offense and you can go free as I will pay the penalty for your offense. You then have a choice of accepting his offer or rejecting it. That is what God did for us. Jesus paid for our sins and we can accept that payment and be made right with God or we can reject it and suffer the penalty ourselves. There's also an optional verse that kind of takes us astray away from the Romans road that you can throw in there. And that's uh, two little verses, 1 Corinthians 15, verses three, through f- three and four. Verse three says, I passed on to you what has been most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. Verse four, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. It says that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose from the dead. This resurrection proves that he was indeed the son of God and paid the price for our sins. If he'd only been a man, he would still be dead and buried, just like every other man who has died physically. And then we turn to John 3.16 and read that verse to the person in whom we are witnessing. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This verse tells us that we only have to believe in Jesus as our Savior to be saved. The phrase believes in means to trust in, rely upon, cling to. If we truly believe that Christ died for our sins and he is the only, one, only way to heaven, we will rely on this to be so. And when we do this, we are saved. If someone doesn't trust Christ to be their Savior, then this is really an indication that they don't actually believe the gospel. It could be that they don't believe they are a sinner. Or they could believe that there is no penalty for their sins. Or it could be that they don't believe that Christ actually paid the price for their sins. Or something else about the gospel message entirely. If a person truly believes this message in the plan of salvation, all they have to do is rely on Christ to apply the payment for their sins. For them personally. Christ's death on the cross is the completed payment of all sins. At this point, you can ask the person if they believe this plan, which you've presented. And now if they say yes, simply ask them, will you trust Christ now to save you? You can then lead them in a simple prayer, thanking Jesus for saving them. After you prayed with them, show them how they can know they are saved. Tell them that the assurance of their salvation is not based on feelings. Now, how many of you, when you were saved, you were in euphoria? Nothing could go wrong. And then something went wrong. Then you started questioning It's not based on feelings. It is based on what God's word says, which is what we're going through. Our feelings don't come into account. It is based on the authority of God's word, the Bible. Then we could turn to John 3, 17 and 18 and read those verses to him. Verse 17 says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. 
But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Ask them which two classes of people they see in that verse. And I'm going to give you a hint. Those that believe and those that do not believe. Ask them which class they are in. If they have understood your presentation, they should say those who believe. Then ask them what it says about those who believe. And the answer is that those who believe are not condemned. Explain to them that this means that now God will never condemn them for their sins. Christ died and paid the full penalty for all their past, present, and future sins. Now, if they refuse to accept Christ or are not fully convinced of the truthfulness of the gospel, leave the door open for them to consider it later. Encourage them to think about what you've told them to look into it further. Leave your contact information with them so they can get back with you a little later if they want to do so. Then thank them for their time and let them know that you're going to be praying for them. Now, one of the things that I've done in my Bible is at the very front of the Bible, I wrote Romans Road. And then right beside that, I wrote Romans 3.10. So I always know where to start. In the margin by Romans 3.10, I wrote Romans 3.23 because that's the next verse I'm going to. I've even written a little note about what it's going to be going to. In the margin by 3.23, I wrote Romans 6.23. So I know to go to the next, where the next place. And in the margin by 6.23, I wrote Romans 5.8. And in the margins by Romans 5.8, I wrote John 3.16. This is what I do. It helps me to remember the next scripture to turn to. Now, I hope this helps. <laughs> but remember, this is only one example of how to do it. If you want more ideas, speak to those you know that have the gift of evangelism. They can give you further examples and some great ideas, and it will give you an opportunity to build another relationship. In closing, we do have a mission. We have a message, and we have motivation to share Christ with others. And this series is going to help facilitate that. So as we continue this series about building relationships, remember this quote by Maya Angelou. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. This is what building relationships is all about. Now, before I hand it over to Pastor Mark, because I've, I've asked Pastor Mark to please come up here and, and give some closing statements and to lead you guys in the prayer of salvation. I know it seems like witnessing can be hard. I know we get nervous. I know sometimes we want, worry about what they're going to say, how they're going to respond, how they're going to look at us from that point forward. If we witness to them and then they see us do something wrong later on, how are they going to look at us then? Guys, don't be scared. Don't be nervous. It's our job. It's what God has asked us to do. And there's a plus here. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. That's why Jesus sent him to be inside of us, to give the words to speak to those. So when we don't have the words, he will, he will speak forth. All we're called to do is tell them. It's not our job to hit every point of it. Sometimes we're going to plant seeds. Sometimes we're going to water seeds. Sometimes we're going to cultivate the soil. It's not going to be the same every time. But it's our job. It's what God has left us here on earth to do, to speak to other people about him and about the fact that Jesus is alive. If you saw somebody drowning and you had a life preserver, would you just let them drown? Or would you throw them the life preserver? Because there's people drowning around us everywhere. And we have the life preserver right here. 
Share it. Don't let them just drown around you. Share him with them. Good job. You know, the enemy will come and bring condemnation and remind us of what we've done. And when the enemy begins to remind you of what you've done, remind him of his future. <laughs> but, you know, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction into our life. There have been times when, when we've been, we know we're not supposed to do something. And a lot of times that could be the Holy Spirit speaking to our lives because Jesus came not to condemn us, but to bring us into relationship with him. That's what it's all about. And so that's why this witnessing thing is so important because as we've shared over the last couple of weeks, listen, if we don't go, who's going to go? There's a song on the radio right now that talks about that. And there's kind of the storyline is the guy's upset because he sees all these things. And he's like, God, why don't you do something? And in the song, it says, I created you. You go do something. God has given us tremendous opportunity to share the love of Christ with the world around us. And it's up to us to make that decision to go forth and do that. Listen, there's nobody that can take your place. The relationships that you have and the relationships that you've built are unique. And so all of us have that opportunity. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and God is tugging on your heart, you know that you don't have a relationship with him or you did at one point in time and you've walked away and you want to be restored back to that relationship, would you just slip up your hand? I just want to pray with you. There's, there's not any shame in that. The shame would be to walk out of this building and not receive everything that the Lord has for you. Thank you for that honesty. Anybody else? God loves you, and his greatest desire is to bring us into relationship. If you've raised your hand, I'd like for you to pray this prayer. It's not about the prayer. It's about the heart. Just praying from our heart. Just repeat after me. You can repeat out loud or, or silently. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. I yield my life to you. And I ask you to come into my life and dwell within me. Forgive me of all my sins. And I receive your grace. I receive your unmerited favor and your forgiveness. For all my sins. Today is a new day. Today is a fresh start. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Father, I, I also pray for this young lady. I pray that you would fill her to overflowing with the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit, that she would have a greater connection with you, that she would hear your small, still voice speaking to her heart, God, and that you would continue the work that you started this morning in a powerful way and that you would transform her into this wonderful person that you created her to be, that this is a new day and all that old stuff is gone. Let her walk in the freedom and the liberty that you came to give each and every one of us. Father, I thank you for her boldness, and Lord, I pray that you fill her to overflowing even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. What a great morning. We've been talking about this 442 is for you, this initiative, and we handed out these cards. Have you guys been using these cards? Anybody? If you want some more, if you need some more, there's some more up here. There's some more on the, uh, on the way out the door. Grab some of those. And remember, 
442 is for you. It stands for building four new relationships with, with people that don't know the Lord, hopefully. But even if they do, it's okay to build more relationships, right? But the target is that we reach the unchurched. And so uh, build, and this is for the rest of the year, okay? This is not this week. So you have almost seven months to do this. And if you can do more than that, great. But build four new relationships with people that don't know the Lord. Be intentional about that. Also, the second four is to share your story or a relevant story with those that you come in contact with. It doesn't have to be the same four people, but the point is, is that we share our story, that we share the, the hope and the love of Christ. The two stands for two people you can pray with. Two people for the rest of this year. Hopefully, the Lord will open up the door for you to pray a prayer of salvation with them and lead them to the Lord. But it could be that God brings somebody across your path that's really hurting and wounded, and I can almost guarantee you in the next seven months, you will have multiple opportunities to pray with people because there's a lot of hurting people out there. So we want you to, to do that. So take some of these cards, uh, put one on your mirror at, at the house to be reminded every morning. Listen, we're doing everything that we can to help us as a church go out and be effective. Jesus said, go and make disciples. It's not optional, guys. That's what he said. That's what he commanded us to do. And I appreciate, Jason, that you gave us the word. I mean, that's, that's the truth of the matter is that all of sin have fallen short of God's glorious standard, all of us. So when we're talking with someone and witnessing, it's not like we're talking down to them because everyone has sinned and fallen short of the standard of God. So we're all right there in the same place. The difference is those of us who have received the Lord are forgiven for all of our sins. That's what Christ did on the cross. But there are a lot of people that don't know that or don't believe that or have a hard time receiving that. So we give them the Word of God and we share with them the love of Christ. And hopefully God will work in their lives and they'll come to that saving grace, truth, knowledge that Christ died not only for us, but for them as well. And there's a lot of people, there are a lot of people that really need to know that. And I think as, as just as humans, we need to be reminded of that, that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of our works and our performance. It's simply through the grace, the unmerited favor of God that we are saved. There'll be somebody handing out these t-shirts, so please take one and wear it, okay? I want to dismiss you. Thank you for joining us this morning. We love you. God bless you. Go out and live it.